Hello guys, welcome to the fourth week of Why My Parents Worry About Me. I'm Mana. And I'm Taylor. And I cannot believe you guys are still here. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> week four. I know. Are you excited to do this? How are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. I do have one correction though. I left our little like white noise to signal the end of our episode a, a little too long on our last episode. So if your ears got ruptured, I'm very sorry. Mine also got ruptured while I was listening to it. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll do better next time. You mean 28 seconds is too long? Well, I don't know if it was 28 seconds, but it should be about two. <laughs> too long. Too long. Two. Three is too long. Yeah. Um, how are you this week? Like, what have you been up to? Anything exciting? Nothing super exciting. Just been chilling. You've had an exciting week, though. I have. I guess it's time to tell the listeners about me. I don't know. We, I don't want to open up about like our lives too fast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like try to give you guys a little bit every week. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like um, starting a new relationship. Exactly. So we got to build it up with trust mm-hmm. and honesty and time. <laughs> but essentially I just moved back to America. I was living in South Korea as a graduate student for the past two years. So I am very excited to be back home. I'm pretty jet lagged. I've been home less than 24 hours as I'm recording this podcast. So yeah, it was just really stressful. That's crazy. Did anything like crazy happen while you were flying or like with COVID and everything? How was international flight? So international flying, they just have like a couple more regulations. So I mean, it's different for every country, obviously, but leaving Korea, I had to go through a health check really quick, answer some questions. Got checked into my flight. TSA went fast, and then on the plane I had to wear a mask the entire time, and they boarded us like by rows, so mm-hmm. it was very strategic. And there was only like maybe thirty five people on my flight on a big international flight, so that was exciting. Yeah. Um, and then I actually brought my cat with me because I had a cat in Korea, and she did amazing. And she's not happy to be in a new environment, but I'm happy to have her in a new environment. <laughs> yeah. it's How long are the flights? So coming back, it's about, like, uh, 13 hours. I almost feel like a trapped animal because the entire time I just – I constantly am like, when are they going to feed me? When is the next time mm-hmm. they feed me? It's my only thought the continuously going on. That's crazy. I've literally never been uh, on an international flight, so I don't understand how any of it works. But I watched a documentary about how plain food is made one time, like, on YouTube. And it's actually pretty interesting how, like, gourmet chefs have to try to figure out all the logistical things with air flights. It's weird to me, by the way. Because I'm like, it should be nighttime for you. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, we're in the same time zone. Yeah, it's crazy because... So, while we were recording, I would start recording with Mana about 10.30-ish at night. And then it would be, what, 11.30 in the morning for you? Yes. Yeah. So, it is really weird that I'm not using, like, artificial light. Well, actually, where is the farthest you traveled? I actually don't know. Like, Florida? I'm sorry I asked. (laughs) yeah listen even an hour on a plane is torture it's so boring yeah so it's really really weird to think about people being on a flight for 13 hours but nevertheless we persist yes and i survived another flight (laughs) yeah so um you want to get started 
So talk about moving around internationally. Let's go to our next story because um, we are in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I will tell the first story. Is that okay with you? Oh, yeah. That's my favorite thing because I like going second because then I just get to sit and listen and hang out for a little bit. (laughs) I like going first because then I can just get it over with, which is sad. Mm -hmm. I feel that. (laughs) Okay. My first story is based on an unsolved murder of a young girl in South Africa. It's considered one of the most well-known unsolved murders there. And I would compare it almost to, like, our Black Delilah because it's so famous. You mean Black Delia? God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I would compare it to our Black Delia because I'm so good at English. The incompetency of us being able to talk. It's almost, it's humorous to me, but I feel like people are going to get over it soon. They're going to be like, all right, it's not (laughs) funny anymore. You guys do it every two minutes. (laughs) You've been doing this for five weeks now. Learn how to use Google Translator. Literally. Why? I think it's because I have a Word document and it like auto-corrected to Delilah. So I was like, oh, like the song. (laughs) (laughs) Hey there, Delilah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So our story first takes us to Lichtenberg, which was located 230 kilometers from Johannesburg. It used to be a giant mining town in the past, um, but it lost a lot of its fame due to, you know, everyone moving to the bigger cities and that kind of thing. But a lot of wealthy families remain there because mining used to be so big, you know, in the 1930s and the 20th century. Born on June 8th, 1931, Bubble Schroeder was born to a mother and a father. Her grandparents were of German immigrants and they arrived in 1877. They were more of an immigrant family and that really affected their wealth in this mining town. So with her mother, she decided to marry another German immigrant and that would end up being Jacoba's father. But he left her a single mother when Jacoba was only four. And because of that, Jacoba's mother started to become kind of bitter Due to the difficulties of life, she didn't show Jacoba as much affection because of that. And they kind of grew up poor while being in this wealthy place because it was so difficult to be a single mother in this time. You know, in the 1930s, only certain jobs were given to women. So it makes sense. And it was really difficult for Jacoba growing up. So she lived between her cousin and her mother, constantly just moving between the two, just seeing which would be the best option for her to, you know, grow up and get an education, that kind of thing. Why is her middle name Bubbles? So there's a couple ideas, but I'm going to give you the first idea. And this is just superstition. There's no way to prove it right now because this case was so far, like, so long ago. But so somebody said that the doctor who delivered her was so in awe of such a beautiful child existing in front of him that he noticed that when she smiled, the her face filled the room with more bubbles than a sink of dishes. So that's why she was considered oh, bubbles. That's so cute. <laughs> right? I was like, that's a cute one. The other theory is not as cute, but I will get to that later. <laughs> Finally, when she turned 17 in March 1948, she went to go work in Verena Gang. Jacoba's childhood, we go into March 1948... When she was turning 17, she went back to Virgang, um, South Africa, to work for a coal agency there. However, she hated it. Um, she did not like the work, and she only felt pressured by her mother to make some money to help support her mother and herself. 
And honestly, all she wanted to be was a movie star or kind of a, like a, she wanted to have a rich man. She just wanted to be like almost like the epitome of like Hollywood girl, mm-hmm. but in South Africa, unbeknownst to her family, she went back to Johannesburg four months later and they thought she was still working at that coal agency, but you know, she was trying to make her own life. So I kind of get it. So in Johannesburg, she moved into the apartment of Philip Stein, who was a 52-year-old bookmaker. Okay, how old was she? 18. Okay. Um, And when I say bookmaker, he was not, like, he didn't make books back then. That's what they called the people who did gambling and, like, would keep track of the bets and stuff. So he was quite wealthy from that. And they met at, like, a dance in Orange Grove, South Africa. They really got along, and he wanted to bring a beautiful woman back to his um place and it, their relationship i should know was not sexual but more yeah. like he used her he's mentioned before that he liked her a lot as a person but he knew that she was trouble and she would throw tantrums especially when she was drunk mm-hmm. um so she had a drinking problem he's noted to quote she was a young woman a little loose in her morals but she was very sweet except when she was drunk then she became unmanageable which will prove to be part of her um, demise as well was her drinking problem so essentially what Stein would do would would be to introduce her to wealthy guys and would arrange dates there would never be sex but they would have dates with her they would have dancing it was almost like a way for wealthy older rich men to hang out with a young beautiful woman um and then there is some speculation that he did force her to perform oral sex at his command on various of these dates, but only like to certain one of them. The second theory behind her name Bubbles, because Bubbles was a term that people believe Stein gave her as a way to talk about women who occasionally perform oral sex at command. And so she was really becoming popular in this scene. She was called two terms to describe her, which were popular back then in the 1940s. The first term was glamour girl, which is somebody who's very beautiful, dressed well, one of those no hair out of place women, you know, like the epitome of like perfect actor, model, you know what I'm talking about, like Mm -hmm. just perfect. Yeah. And then other people would call her a good time girl, which is essentially a glamour girl, but would be more free and a lot rougher. So they'd smoke, they'd drink, and that was the epitome of what Jacobo Bubbles Schroeder was. So in June 1949, Stein finally kind of got fed up with her behavior and kicked her out. She was drunk once again, and he was like, okay, this is one time too many. He couldn't deal with it and kicked her out. So in response, she moved to Dorchester Mansions in Rissick Street, where she shared an apartment with Mrs. Griffin, a woman who was a hostess. So she worked at like bars or a hostess club servicing men. I don't think see anything sexually. I think it was just like platonically servicing men as a hostess. So, mm-hmm. um, but she said that Jokoba was never poor because she constantly had an array of dates willing to give her money and that she'd spend all her nights at nightclubs and all her days at beauty parlors. So that was what she did all the time. And then this is where the story kind of gets starts to get more exciting and you can understand the players involved with this unsolved murder so on august 11th 1949 jacoba met boris bilchik and they made a date for saturday night morris was an older man i think in his 40s they made a date for saturday night and according to him they slept together and the next day he bragged to his friend david poliak who was much younger and david poliak was like oh my god bro that's so crazy let's have a foursome because 
that's what a normal person's reaction is. <laughs> so they contacted Jacoba and was like, hey, you should get your friend involved, that kind of thing. And Jacoba was like, okay, sure, and invited her friend Penny over. However, that night when the men arrived, she was late. She was taking a couple shots of brandy and her friend Penny did not arrive. So they were like, let's make this a threesome, I guess. And they drove her to Polyak's mother's house in Durban. So they took Polyak's car and traveled there, arriving at 8 p.m. That night, they sat down for a meal at 9.30 p.m., which the maid made for them. So there is actual timestamps and like proof of this occurring. And they drank together. That was when Vilchik decided to head home at 11.15 p.m. He started to recognize that there was something going on with Polyak and Jacoba and was kind of getting kind of put off by it. So he was like, I might as well just go home. I don't want to deal with this. When he left, Polyak and Jacoba started get really getting along and they went upstairs to listen to records. But 15 minutes later... Bilchik got really jealous and called and then was like, I'm being ridiculous and hung up. So he has like a little thing going on. They record and chilled. Yeah, exactly. Record and chilled. <laughs> so around 12.30 p.m., Poliak's cousin Hyman Leibman returned from a date at the cinema with his girlfriend. So it was just Leibman and he just came back and Poliak came to meet him down in like the foyer to be like, hey, I need your help. My, I have a girl in my room, Jacoba, and she drank way too much, and I need to get her out of here before she passes out, um, which is respectful. So, um, Lyman goes to help him get Jacoba out of here, and finally, it took, a, like, another hour before Jacoba was like, okay, fine, I'll go home. There was a situation at the cars, so Poliak wanted to take her home because that was the girl he'd been hanging out with, but Jacoba got into Libman's car for whatever reason, and she refused to get out. Libman kind of just got over it and was like, I'll just drive her, and took her and then returned to Poliak 15 to 20 minutes later. Poliak's freaking out because he said it should not have been that fast to take her home. What happened? Libman said, that girl's a lunatic. She wanted to drive, and when I wouldn't let her, she made me stop and got out. I told her to be sensible, but she wouldn't listen. So, Lemon told Poliak that he left her at Dunkeld bus terminus when watched her as she walked towards Oxford Road. <laughs> I, I don't like how this is going. <laughs> it gets worse because when Jacoba was, like, walking away from him, she said to him, don't be surprised if you read about my corpse in the newspapers tomorrow. Good lord. Poliak claims that he went that night to try to find her but could find no sign of her and went home thinking, okay, maybe she got home safe. But the next day... Bolchik went to her flat to try to, like, make up with her because he felt bad for getting jealous the other day. And actually, at her flat, her mother was staying with her at the time. He arrived and asked her mother if her mother had seen her, and her mother said that she has not seen Jacoba and did not know about what happened before and thought she was staying with a friend. Oh, no. You would think that, I mean, they could call each other at that time, right? Yeah. Yeah, you would think that he would call and kind of see if she got home yeah i mean well technically bolchik bolchik didn't know about it well the guy that dropped her off oh Polyak, yeah no i fully agree that was part of it bolchik didn't know about the situation and so when he went to go to the flat he was just like wait what do you mean she's just gone so that way he phoned Polyak to try to get some of the story and Polyak was like um she's not there and then together they went to the rosebank police station to file a missing persons report at least they at least they did that. They didn't like wait twenty four hours or some stupid, like where you have to wait forty eight hours. Cause I think that's a misconception that people have is when someone does go missing that you have to wait a certain amount of time. 
but you can file a police report still. I totally agree with that. And um, I'm going to get into the theories about who might have done the murder, but I think this kind of, the fact that they did it right away kind of is like, okay, they probably really weren't aware what happened or mm-hmm. they're just doing it to not rise suspicion, but yeah, it's curious either way. Mm-hmm. So, the body was missing for 30 hours before it was found by Samuel Mobella, a laborer. It was found in a burnout field at the Birdhaven Plantation. And it was less than a kilometer from where Libman last saw her. Mm. So, not that did far. did not get very far, yeah. I'm going to go into the description about how the body was found and everything because it is an unsolved murder. It's kind of interesting to know the details and her body position. So she was on her back and her face was turned to the right. Her left leg was placed over her right leg and her left arm was pressed against her body. Her right arm was then stretched out at a 75 degree angle and placed carefully on the ground next to her. So it wasn't like just laying there. Her shoes, hat, and coat were missing. However, her feet were clean. So that means that she was probably killed somewhere else and then dragged to the plantation and then maybe her shoes were removed there um, because it wouldn't make sense any other way. There was no signs of a struggle or drag marks except for there was some bruising and some scratch marks on her neck. Um, But they weren't like super significant so there had to be an autopsy. However, this was a high traffic area so people were kind of surprised it took so long to find her. So that was a big issue too, like wondering why it took so long. I wonder if someone just dropped her off. Exactly. They kept the body for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the autopsy was performed by Johannesburg's district surgeon, Dr. Jay Friedman, and he took note of more parts of this murder that were just very curious. He noticed that the bodice of her green dress was slightly ripped, a button was missing, her stockings were torn on her right leg and was snagged in various places, her panties were torn, and her black petticoat and bra were still intact. She was not actually sexually assaulted, um, which is actually surprising in cases like this. The doctor even said that she was actually a virgin. So it's interesting how they're going to have a threesome or foursome with her um, if she was a virgin. Mm-hmm. This is the part that I'm curious about because I guess Bolshevik lied to, he lied to Foyak about having sex with her on the night before, and that's why they were going to do the threesome in the first place. But if mm-hmm. she was a virgin, then that... Yeah, that is definitely kind of a plot hole. Exactly. And then, so there's two main points that are super interesting about this case. And then also that Jacobo suffered from a thymus gland condition that would cause her to pass out if slight pressure was put on her neck. Because of this, she was probably strangled from behind, probably from a scarf or like another similar cloth. And then she scratched herself trying to save herself. So that's where the scratch marks came from. The official autopsy report said it was asphyxiation, and her official time of death was August 16th, Tuesday at 2 a.m. So two weeks later, Poliak and Liebman were arrested for connection to her murder. And during this time, they appeared in court and was put in custody, and their bail was set at 5,000 and 500 South African pounds, respectively. South Africa was under the British pound because of European and British imperialism. Bolshevik actually also testified at this hearing too so he was a part of the whole process their lawyer was israel mazelis who who's known to be one of the greatest defense attorneys in south africa he even represented nelson mandela and many others so he is very prolific i don't think it was due to him being a great attorney but uh, they 
the case was acquitted because it was noted that all the evidence was mostly circumstantial. There was no basis to them. There was no direct evidence to the murder. All they had was that Jacobo was with them the night before. So this case was just thrown out. I want to get into the various theories that go along with this unsolved murder because a lot of them are interesting and they bring up what could be the right decision and what could have actually happened. So theory one looks at Livman as being the one who strangled her in his car using the scarf. People suspect that he was mad because she wouldn't have sex with him and then killed her in the car only to carry her body to the road and leave her there. However, there is concern because how would he strangle her from the back if he was driving? And then why did it take so long to find her body then? So he would have had to, just off the top of my head, she would have to be like leaving the car and like with her back turned from him when he's when she strangled when she, when she was strangled but yeah. that's like but it's just like it sounds like a lot of work and it i don't know just doesn't sound as plausible because mm-hmm. i mean she probably would have got more dirty and yeah i don't know yeah it's interesting mm-hmm. so that was theory one theory two was saying that jacoba was robbed and killed by a passing african this theory only exists because since her mouth was stuffed with lime, that is very popular in certain African customs where putting something in the mouth of somebody who suffered a violent death prevents them from speaking ill of those of the person who killed them in the afterworld. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? So they only thought it was because of that, just because of the hard clay in the mouth. But that's mm-hmm. not enough to, I guess, like racially profile a suspect. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, so the theory had a lot of flaws, and in 1949, in fact, people of color technically weren't allowed to move around freely, and they had a lot of restrictions for them mm. at night because South Africa used to, I don't want to say used to because they still have, used to have really strict laws against people of color and stuff like that. So there, that was also another plot with flaws in it. And then theory three was created by the late Benjamin Bennett, who was a crime writer for the Argus. He thought Jacoba tried to hitchhike and was picked up by a car. If there was two men in the car, then they could have strangled her easily, one in the front seat, one in the back, and then they could have, like, strangled her from, like, if she was in the passenger seat, the guy in the back could have killed her, and then together they could have moved the body, and then they used the clay-like substance as, like, a deterrent to try to, like, because um, if you know about that custom, that could be a really good deterrent, so. And I think this one's probably, out of the three that you said, I feel like maybe if she is trying to hitchhike, that could be a possibility my only question is like why because usually when men murder women it's honestly usually to sexually assault them Mm -hmm. but they didn't touch her yeah maybe because it was a high traffic area they didn't have the opportunity it's still an interesting all three are interesting theories they're all like possibilities that's the thing Mm -hmm. that's why i hate unsolved murders because they're all possibilities that don't make sense in the end but still make sense and you're like what could it be yeah i was actually i laughed myself when you said you were doing an unsolved mystery because in the first episode you talked about how much you absolutely despise them (laughs) you're right i literally hate it i'm like who was it who did it (laughs) i need to know somebody needs to tell me but um theory number four was that bolchik was maybe the killer there's not like a lot on this theory but the fact that he was never a suspect but he did get jealous the night before was just like was it him but Mm -hmm. His reaction to her mother, I don't think, would have been as sincere. Yeah. Or he's a really good actor. But yeah, so this murder was never solved, and 
I can only find like two things on where the suspects are now because like Fulcher ended up taking over his dad's company and then kind of got in trouble for embezzlement. And then Poyak found his third wife and was a multimillionaire. So they ended up kind of being successful. So this murder will probably never be solved. And it's really sad because Jacoba always wanted to be someone. And unfortunately, she's only somebody in death now. Yeah, that's devastating. It's really sad. And that's why my parents worry about me. That's super interesting. I, I always feel unsettled when there's unsolved murders. But this one, there's just not a lot of evidence. No, it's like very, it's honestly very strategic. It's a very perfect murder. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this was planned all along, like even before the the boys asked her for a foursome. It honestly could have happened. Who knows? It could have been like somebody that knew her and saw her walking and then killed her, or it could have been a thing like that. All right, so we're going to get into my story now. So I'm going to be talking about the Tokoloshi today. This creature lives by many names such as the Tokoloshe, the Tokolosh, and the Tokoloshi. And I've decided just to keep things simple and always call it the Tokoloshi. Um, this is a dwarf-like water spirit. This mythology comes from the Zulu and the Kosa people, which Kosa is the English mispronunciation of the actual name, but in this group's native tongue, they have like these clicks to their language. And uh, because we're notorious for mispronouncing names, I just don't feel uh, it's appropriate to try to figure out how to say the clicks because there's a bunch of different clicks and I just didn't want to like completely butcher it. Yeah, I mean, I say we have, we mispronounce a lot of things, but I think when it comes to like those kind of languages, uh, I, don't, I don't think we should ever attempt. No, exactly. So I just thought I... Uh, I just thought I would use the English mispronunciation of it, which is hopefully okay. But regardless, it can be considered a part of their superstition, their belief, and their culture. It ranges like most folklores do. We have people that are on the spectrum of really believing what the Tokoloshi is, and then we have other people that just believe it's a part of their heritage and culture's storytelling. I just wanted to mention that it's also not my place to judge anyone's beliefs, and I'm looking at this from an outsider's point of view, so please be mindful that some of this information may have been lost in translation or overly westernized. Regardless, I wanted to tell you a little bit about this creature because it's really interesting to me. I actually had a completely different idea for what I was going to be talking about today, but when my friend Queenie, Lorna, and Chime told me about living in South Africa, because that's where they're from, I knew that I had to scrap everything that I had which was like five hours of research and tell you all about this mischievous evil spirit. So to start things off, I wanted to paint a picture of what this creature looks like. It's kind of funny because at one point while I was researching, I was looking at all of these photos and obviously with different generations and tribes and families, uh, the creature is going to look slightly different. But I stumbled upon an image that I had actually seen before and it jogged like a childhood memory for me so it was like kind of nostalgic and it's funny because I actually had heard about this creature before from a book that I had when I was a child but I just didn't put two and two together until I just stumbled randomly upon this scanned image of a book. The book is called Mythical Creatures the Scariest Creatures from Legends, Books, and Movies by Chris McNabb and I actually had to text my brother and ask him if I was going crazy and he did confirm that we had this book while growing up. That's crazy that you guys, like, had that book. It was just, like, mm -hmm. little do you know you'd be telling the story years later. 
Right, yeah. And I remember, like, looking at it as a kid and being like, that doesn't seem that scary. Because it was next to, like, dragons and ogres and, like, all of these other crazy creatures. And this thing is, like, really tiny. Like, it, it doesn't look that intimidating. But then you learn the story of it, and then it becomes a lot more intimidating. Anyways... There are a ton of ways to describe this creature, depending on who you talk to and what like region they're from, but it is always described as a very small creature, almost like a gremlin, and is sometimes described uh, looking like a primate. So it's kind of a mixture between a gremlin and a primate with long bony fingers. Some say that this creature has long pointed ears and others say that it also has a tail. And many believe there is a hole on top of their head where the witch placed a hot nail or metal stake like into their skull to animate them. Oh my god, he sounds so ugly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, but better yet, his eyes have been gouged out because he uses other senses to find a way to ca- cause harm to other people. Wait, do we know who gouged out his eyes? Like the witch? The witch, yep. Yeah. Um... When they drink water or a magic pebble is placed within their mouth, they can become invisible, so adults can't see them at all. It is said that some children can see this creature, and sometimes this creature will be friendly towards children. So what I took from that is if your child is ever playing with an imaginary friend, it could actually be the tokoloshi. But as the child ages, the tokoloshi realizes that that relationship is probably going to not be a good relationship to have, so the tokoloshi just vanishes and causes harm. So, I mean, Loki's sad. The Mm -hmm. man's just lonely. He's just (laughs) ugly and lonely. Yeah, but there's, like, thousands (laughs) of these spirits. So interesting. Mm -hmm. So the tokoloshi is very malevolent and dangerous and causes all sorts of havoc. But generally speaking, in the dead of the night, the creature crawls into your room as you sleep. He wraps his uh, bony fingers around your neck and then suffocates you. No, thank you. I don't like (laughs) it coming into my room at night. I'm asleep. (laughs) Right. It's also said that he has scratched children as they've slept, leaving them with long scratches when they wake up. Uh, It's also said that he's bitten off sleeping people's toes. And he's been blamed for... Things such as theft, murder, rape, sexual assault, and even divorce. <laughs> how does he go? How does that hold up in court? <laughs> well, so it's actually really interesting, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But he's basically just a spirit that causes a bunch of mischief, and legend has it that that they're sidekicks to witches, called to harm the enemies of the witch. So it's like the witches evildoer. He's basically the enforcer for the witch. Uh, Others believe that the tokoloshi is created from graveyard dirt and little bit of dead bodies, uh, while others believe that the witch places a nail in the head of the tokoloshi to animate it. Apparently only witches know exactly how the tokoloshi is made, but it is always made with two ingredients. It's dark magic and terrible intentions. So while I was doing all of this research, it kind of became my assumption that this spirit has a lot to do with jealousy. Because what I kept reading is how jealous someone has to be to summon a tokoloshi. But it is interesting because to summon a tokoloshi, 
it will steal the soul of one random person close to you as payment. So like within a year of the Tokoloshi making mischief for your enemy, you're also going to be losing a loved one. Mm -hmm. So do you ever think that you could hate someone so much that you would want to lose someone you love? Honestly, I can't imagine being like that petty that I'm like, "Mm, if my sister died, eh, at least I get back at the other person. It just... Right. And I feel like they're probably really unpredictable. So mm-hmm. you're not even like probably causing harm to the person close to you. You're probably causing harm to multiple people because it's not like they just do their thing and leave. It sounds like they mm-hmm. stay around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's literally like the curse of the Tokoloshi. Like these things mess with people. There's cases where the Tokoloshi is blamed for the motives of like murder and assault. Uh, while I was talking to my friends, they talked about... Uh, a case where a man was told by a tokoloshi that he had to kill his brother-in-law. And I also read a case where the, a baby was murdered because uh, he was told th- that he had to kill him because the baby was a tokoloshi. Some people really, really do believe. And they really do listen to, you know, this. He can, apparently, I read in some cases, he can, what's, what's the word where, like, he can possess people. Is the word possess? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. <laughs> but so there's like some cases where he like has possessed people to do crazy things. And then there's other cases where he is the one causing people harm. So it's kind of just like a general evil spirit. I mean, it sounds like it's full of chaotic, mm-hmm. like a, it sounds like it's very chaotic. Yeah, it's it's a full chaotic energy. So if you want to catch a tokoloshi, you have to hire a traditional healer or a sengoma to sprinkle powder that was created from the dead body of a tokoloshi. So in South Africa, there are traditional he- healers. And the way that the uh, traditional healer gets the dead body of a tokoloshi in this powder is that the tokoloshi absolutely loves cow milk. So if a tokoloshi is like running around and they find cows, they'll hang out where they're like living. So like wherever the cow's house is. And the uh, traditional healer will put a powder at the door. So whenever it tries to leave after drinking all of the milk, it'll paralyze the tokoloshi and the traditional healer can then go and capture the tokoloshi and that way they can like make this powder so wait i have a quick question so like i'm interested because i would assume that it wouldn't be a physical entity because it's a spirit so it can be like physically handled and that kind of thing yeah it's like a physical creature okay Mm -hmm. it just sounds like it like be like an apparition or something (laughs) right i know Yeah, and it is kind of confusing because depending on, like, who you talk to and because it's invisible, Mm -hmm. but it is still there. And the reason why it's invisible is because it drinks the water or has the magic pebble in its mouth. Mm -hmm. There are still traditional healers today in South Africa, and they're completely normal people um, with pretty typical normal jobs, and they just have this calling to help people. I like that, though. Mm Mm-hmm. You can, like, exist. It's nice because I love when, like, modern society mixes with, like, the culture of, like, more past society. So 
like modern healers, it sounds like it came from the past. And then now she just like works at a bank and she's connecting them to, to do what she wants to do and help people. That's really sweet. Yeah. And from my understanding, it's very like ancestral. So like her mom was a traditional healer and then like, it's a very, um, it's, it's a practice that's like brought down from generation to generation. So it's like a very big deal to them. So among the truly superstitious and the believers of the Tokoloshi, the only way to protect yourself is to raise your bed with bricks or even paint cans to protect yourself. They're not very great climbers and that the creature is so short. So if you sleep with your bed raised, the idea is that he can't get you or anything on the bed, but he can still wreak havoc on things that isn't on the bed. So he can like Mm -hmm. steal things, he can, you know, mess with your property, things like that. But while we're talking about beds, I also wanted to mention that this tale originally came from South African indigenous folklore. So these groups of people traditionally slept on the floor on grass mats around a wood fire to keep them warm during the night. Their typical dwellings were called rondavels. I think that's how you say it but they're basically South African huts that are shaped like a drum and that they have a cone-shaped roof. Today we know that having a fire in a contained space isn't very safe. So while they slept on the floor, the fire began to deplete oxygen levels in the home, leaving carbon monoxide, which is heavier than pure air. So that bad air would sink to the bottom of the home where they were sleeping and basically give them carbon monoxide poisoning. Some say that this was the deadly curse of the Tokoloshi, while others may think that this explains away the creature altogether. Regardless, there's obviously a parallel between the science of elevated sleeping and the lack of death from the Tokoloshi. So at the bare minimum, this could be a story to warn you of the the dangers of sleeping near a fire on the ground. But honestly, I've always slept with my bed raised and with a bed skirt. So I've always been protected from the monsters that live under my bed and the Tokoloshi, and that's why my parents worry about me. Oh my God, that is such an interesting spirit. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I, I, obviously there's a lot more like that goes into it, but this is a really good like overview of this creature. And they can't even say his name. Like it's that serious. Oh my god, I love those because it's like a Voldemort. I'm sorry, <laughs> cannot be named. <laughs> Have you seen like the memes where people make fun of millennials and they're like, Harry Potter is not a personality trait? <laughs> <laughs> Let me live, dude. <laughs> I'm such a Luna Lovegood, whatever. <laughs> if you could be in Harry Potter, what house would you be in? Um, I'd definitely be Slytherin, honestly. Seriously? Yeah. I'd be a Ravenclaw. Mean- Really? I've see, definitely yeah. seen Ravenclaw. I could do Gryffindor, but I think I'm a little bit too evil sometimes. I'm a little bit manipulative. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, <laughs> on that super positive note. Um... <laughs> of me being a terrible person. <laughs> but I definitely see you for Ravenclaw, honestly. I can definitely see that. I just, I, I run from conflict. <laughs> <laughs> you don't become the conflict. No, I'm not. And then also... If I'm not, like, researching something, I don't know what I'm doing. 
I'm probably sleeping. <laughs> See, this is where me and you are different because I'm like, I'll just wing it. <laughs> yeah. I did research for this podcast at five in the morning. <laughs> That's crazy. I I did like five hours for my first story, and then I did about three and a half for the Tokoloshi. So, yeah. And a lot of it was like talking to my friends about it, which is thank you guys for helping me, seriously. Yeah, but... shout out to Taylor's friends. I also appreciate it. <laughs> so what is your reason why your parents are proud of you this week? Uh, my parents are proud of me because they finally get to see me after being gone for so long. They're so excited. I love coming mm-hmm. home mostly because whenever my dad buys, like, so whenever my dad comes to pick me up at the airport, he's always like, are you hungry? Do you want anything? And I'm not even kidding. It's my day to be like, get me this, that, that. And it's just food. It's not like mm-hmm. material stuff. But yeah. like, take me there. Take me to buy this. I want to eat that. And then I kind of like pick out for the day. And then when you come back to America, what do you always crave? Um, so there's like certain things I can't get, but honestly, Taco Bell, which is controversial. I love Taco Bell. <laughs> um, I had it yesterday, um, when I flew in and it's because they have really great vegetarian options. It's mm-hmm. the one with the best options and that Crunchwrap Supreme goes so hard. <laughs> yep. It does. Yeah. You were the one that, um, turned me on to the Crunchwrap Supreme, like the vegetarian <laughs> version of it. Yes. And I went so much that my local Taco Bell knows my voice so well that they're just like, oh, it's Taylor. Oh, it's Taylor. We already have your order. It's fine. Like, that's my goal. I oh, reached yeah. it and I made it. I'm, I'm so driving. jealous to have a regular <laughs> Taco Bell. <laughs> I can't go to other Taco Bells, though, because I feel like I'm cheating on my Taco Bell. I mean, no, it's your Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yep. now that you say that, I'm going to try. Because I can't technically leave my house right now because I should be social distancing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to make my sister drive me to Taco Bell and then just drive home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and yeah. go through that little drive through and get, uh, get it again. <laughs> I always get a cheese quesadilla with rice. That's like my favorite. Good mm-hmm. stuff. Mm. All right. What's your proud parent moment? Other than Taco Bell, being other than being a regular Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, that was uh that was my proud parent moment. No, so a couple weeks ago I talked about how I was getting my hair cut and colored gray. Well, it like didn't work out like at all. Like my hair is fifty shades of every color but gray. It looks fine in photos, but it's like periwinkle. It's purple. It's gray. It's gold. It's yellow. It has like a little tint of green. It's like really bad. And I don't understand why that happened, but today I'm going to be getting my head buzzed and I'm going to start all over again. Um, it's going to be like the same haircut, but shorter because I'm getting the color cut out and I'm going to retry gray. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to start exploring like something wild or something. I don't know. But I mean, you've always been dyeing your hair and like kept it short your whole life, right? Yes. Yep. It's always been a pixie. But it looks so good on you, so it's fine. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I like the colors you use. You always like used to you in like high school. I think you used to have like bright, more brighter colors, right? Yeah, at the beginning of college. Yep. Yeah, I did like purple, blue, um, teal, and then I went back to natural hair for like two years. I did red. I mean, I feel like red is natural, but uh, after I did red, I went black, and then I dyed my hair a magenta, and that was, like, the color that I loved so much. I should probably just go back to magenta if this mm-hmm. doesn't work out, 
Yeah, but we love it so much. I don't. I just feel like gray is the perfect color for summer, and I hate that it worked one time during quarantine and like nobody saw it. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I really enjoy the fact that you always have a pixie cut. Your hair is always dyed, and mm-hmm. and then me with my I have long hair usually, and I've never touched it. <laughs> it makes me it really like the opposite of track kind of thing. <laughs> but I do have something exciting. We had a couple people reach out to us with their proud parent moments, which is really fun. So I was going to read some one named Darcy's, if that's cool with you. Yeah, go ahead. And then I'll do the other one. Yes. Yeah, that's perfect. So Darcy said, just finished episode one. My parents are proud of me for finishing my first year of medical school. Sorry, I had to flex. <laughs> I mean, flex all you want because yeah. me never. <laughs> me never, <laughs> honestly. I dropped out after a year of, oh, sorry. I dropped out after a year of nursing school, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to art school, so <laughs> the idea of me doing anything medical is very far away from me. And I remember taking an anatomy class in high school and being like, guys, I need to be tutored. Like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And you've never done it since? <laughs> no, I haven't. And the teacher felt bad, so he gave me and, like, a bunch of other people in my class extra credit. And all we had to do was give a 20-minute presentation on the science of something. So I did the science of cute aggression. <laughs> so professional. I know. So a new fresh so you, outlook. <laughs> yes. So if you don't know what cute aggression is... Uh, I have a presentation about it, so just just let me know. (laughs) Oh my god, but that's amazing, Darcy. Congrats, we're proud of you. Yes, that's awesome. Keep doing you. Okay, so I want to talk about the proud parent moment for Elisa. Elisa said that she finally got some freelance work after being unemployed by COVID, and she's super excited to finally be working again. I'm so proud of you. Like, I know (laughs) it's probably been really hard with COVID, and... Mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine how, like, stressful it must have been not being able to be employed. So I think it's really great that you finally can do something and be happy. Yeah, that's really exciting. I am happy for you. So we're super proud of these ladies. If you wanted to reach out with your proud parent moment for an upcoming episode, feel free to uh, chat us up at whymyparentsworryaboutme at gmail.com or you can reach us at our Instagram at whymyparentsworryaboutme. Once again, you can listen to us on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts. Um, so check us out. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed our stories and we'll see where we go next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I know that we have some new listeners, which is really exciting for us. Um, So as we continue to grow our little family, it does mean a lot to us that you, you know, leave some kind remarks or subscribe to us. But we really do appreciate you guys. And we're going to wrap things up for the day. Okay, ready to do this terribly? Yep, every day. Goodbye! (laughs) That one, I think, was the best one yet. Yeah, no, I mean, we're at the same, we're at the same time. (laughs) It must have been the Wi-Fi. <laughs>